This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning. This is a bittersweet talk for me and for Koki probably as well, as it is the last weekend uh, here in Austin for us. We are going to leave soon to uh, Crestown, where we have been before and really uh, like to retreat uh, some more. And our time here has been just incredibly rewarding in many ways. And I hope it was rewarding for you too. There was a lot of meeting and engaging and studying together and practicing together that was very rich and will be a shining time capsule in my alaya, <laughs> in my mind, in my life. I'm really, really grateful for this time together. And so uh, as this opportunity came around to, to uh, share this Saturday with you, this hour together, I thought I, um, because like some of us just met the other weekend to talk about Madhya and that's one of my classes at school. And, um, and something that's going to come up there in that class is soon the contemplation on the self, like the very contemplation on emptiness that we did together uh, that Saturday is going to come up pertaining the self. And um, that's something that um, Dogen would say is an issue at hand. <laughs> Again, core and it can be translated as the issue at hand. So um, I, I'm very interested at this issue and I thought it would be an interest to you too. And so this is all to say to that this is more an exploration with you. Yeah. So this, um, I hope these, what I'm, we're going to talk about today will be a discussion. You can, you know, raise uh, your hand anytime. We can, um, the things will be repeated and we also have a little meditation session. So it's not going to be just about words, but really about uh, practice. It's just a little exploration um, to start a conversation, so to speak. Interestingly, I, uh, since it's about the self, the I in the storm of appearances, <laughs> a self that uh, we are, we refer to, I realized that Genesis has really a place in our uh, like, like, or stories of religion have a place. There is a place for them in our storytelling. And um, because not that it is like that, really, but it makes it, it explains something of what's presently here, right? That's like what an origin story maybe is like the world, you know, it's right here. So, how do you get here? So, many cultures have many stories about it. So I would propose a story of the self this morning, <laughs> of ourselves, of our who we are kind of idea. Like if I look at it in my own being and our own mind, I do feel it's like, I would say here, that's me. Shoho, that's me, right? I would point here. And if somebody says Shoho, I turn my head because I'm relating to the name. And um, so there is a certain um, reference here. And that's, I feel that's really what it is in, in a big part is this self, you know, that has a name that, uh, that 
response that receives uh, it's a reference point it's a, and and to to call it a, the, the self itself is just a very convenient uh, concept that highlights this reference point and I think maybe some of you already have contemplated about that yourself so I'm just uh, get us all on the same level so the origin story of the self in this way you know like in this life right so we popped out and somebody was saying you know oh a new being let's give it a name you know and in a way we could say rather than of course in this country it's very much overshadowed by the excitement of being creative and having this creation event of a new baby a newborn uh, to give it a name is just kind of like you know an exciting thing to do and it's also very convenient because it's kind of the first social agreement between the parents to be like are we gonna go for caring for this creature we gotta have a reference point <laughs> and so we give it a name so it is in social agreement that just happened right there at our birth. But in other, most cultures and other cultures, people have more than one name. Like it's very uncom uh, common in other cultures um, to have multiple days, to get on multiple lifetimes. And many of you received new names during your ordination ceremonies, you know. So there are the acknowledgments of different stages in our life where we receive more names because we receive more of a um, you know, we crew out of or we we change, like it's we, we acknowledged in the multiple name situation that's happening for us humans that, you know, we're not just like this one um, reference point, there's just like a changing bubbly dynamic event going on. But the issue of reference point doesn't leave us. It's It's like, you know, in many ways, it is that the core um, principle of selfhood. <laughs> and um, that's uh, that very obvious if you look around of all the Buddhist teachings. So that's the Buddha's main famous teaching is um, not self. Um, if you look around the teachings of not self, then um, we very easily come around that this is what the self is about. It's about a reference, being a reference point, a social conventional agreement, what the self is. And, um, and in this way, in this context, it's utterly like if when I was sitting with this, you know, how, what is the self and seeing it, the reference point, and that is kind of trained, right? I mean, how often during the day am I relating something to me you know or am I relating something from me like being a receiver and a giver that's happening so many times and in a way we are training ourselves in being a referent um, being a spot of origin of ideas being a recipient of uh, ideas and goods be trained in that so many times. And it seems like that um, we must have done that in previous lifetimes. That's the only explanation of how come to me in my mind that it's so strong, like it's such a strong habit to be like, you know, somebody says, hey, you turn, because it's just so to, to see oneself as a reference of what's happening around us is very, very strong. Uh, and so, 
it's a habit. So that's the original story I proposed for this morning of ourselves. It's a habit. It's a habit formation. Any questions so far? Anything that comes up in this conversation? Just raise your hand. So to keep going then, when the Buddha said not self, and to, that is one of the important things that would help us with all our suffering, several of, the, of, of reasonings put into play. So I was saying I was doing this reasoning study right now, so I'm offering some of them. And, um, and the main one um, that's really addressing identity, self-identity or self, is a reasoning of neither one nor many. And maybe one of probably some of you know about it. So in the in the simple uh, context of, for example, a, a complex object like a car, you, when everybody goes there, you know, sees them on the road. There's a car. Watch out! You know, you, there's a certain social agreement, and uh, um, we go in the store car everybody knows what a car is but if you stand in front of a car and you like where is the car take it apart is it in the tires is it in the windows is it in the doors can't find the car it's, you know it's not there so that's this reasoning of looking for one where is that car that single one entity that we keep referring to as a object a solid um, entity if you really look for it, it's really hard to find. So this reason is applied then in the tradition to ourselves. Um, where is the self? You know, where is Shoho here? Yeah, what would be the Shoho partners? Is it the hand? Is it am I am I in my eyes? Am I in my you know guts? <laughs> you know, where is it? And it's like there is a complex entity, but where is that selfhood? Where is that self? And that that's part of this that many of you maybe have already explored this question, you know, how do you find find oneself? How, how does one find oneself? And the Buddha um, in a very early on used a way of talking about the self through the five skandhas. And if you don't know what they are, we, we go through them in a minute. And and that's just to say that we are just very, um, very dynamic creatures. So it's like if you can't find the self, if it's really hard, and don't take my word for it, I really want you to explore yourself. Where is that self that is being referred to all the time? Where is that self that I feel I'm cherishing, that I'm you know loving, that I'm looking, taking care of every day, you know, with many many activities where is it what is it you know how do you find it and then so this this um thinking and this churning has an effect of kind of like um lessening that grip or lessening the assurance you have this so strong of an assurance that this is me my parents call me you know there's a certain you know assurance that there's a self here that this grip is kind of gets loosened up a little bit and this is this, this reasoning that I'm proposing here neither one it's called neither one or many and the beauty of that reasoning is if you say well I can't find it in as a single entity you know a single shoho you can't find the shohoness in me um, 
well, it must be the whole, but that reasoning is in flawed because if we can't find it in one, how would adding many things together that don't even there make a thing, like make an entity? It's not working. Like you have to find half one in order to multiply them into parts and make a whole. So if you don't have one, you can't have many. So that's neither one nor many. And and stay warm with this kind of reasoning because it fear it's again we are working with this very very strong habit of there is one thing there is oneself there is a thing here that's real that needs something that wants something so there is a very strong relationship there and so to stay with this neither one nor many argument whereas one if it's there's no one really look for it if you find it tell me you know everybody should really look for themselves it's not don't take my word um and then but if you don't find one you can't find it in many years because you can't just add things up that are not there then you don't have many either it's not either so this is probably a good time to just take some questions and some considerations to see where we all at rather than we just talking to you and, and and still want to go into a short meditation where we go deeper but first i want to see how does this land what i've said so far and uh, how do you want to yeah okay yeah um, so i was just wondering about the sort of not many so what is what you're saying that like okay so if i can't find one place but i would say well it's this whole thing uh, that's made up of all these parts, but is is it that there there isn't? It, it's not really a conglomeration of the parts that make it whole. That you have to have the parts all working together somehow. Um, I, I'm just I'm trying to. I don't know if that's in the right direction. So okay. yeah, so it's not exactly many. It's some some way that many are working together as sort of one but we still yeah and i hear you i think what had happens very with most of us is we're looking for one single entity permanent single entity like something that can i can call myself that's permanent that's singular that's um you know, not it's not changing, it's always there. And we're looking for this one thing. And we go down, let's say a car, it's maybe easier because it's, you know, so we look for the car in the whole pile of parts, but whatever you hold up from a screw to a, um, you know, a carpet piece or whatever it is, you know, it's not the car. Uh, and then we like say, well, it must be then the whole. It's all the combination, all the parts together that make the whole. But if you don't find a part that is the car, why would the whole be a car? It couldn't be because it's all connected. Like, is there's not one thing? And that's just then the car. All that we have to really say is a car is a convenient designation. It's just a designation. It, there's no corners ever to be found. And it's and it's not permanent, even if 
if, even if it's a convenient designation. Yeah, it's not permanent. Permanent, it's permanent not carness. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, the carness in itself, maybe you could say in our culture, it's permanent in a sense that most of us use a word and we know what it refers to, but it's not, you can't find it. It's not a real thing. And we know that if you go into other cultures who don't use a word or don't have cars, the whole concept falls apart. Um, so it doesn't make any sense. Uh, yeah, so it is an, it's, an, it's a temporary convenience to cars. And, and now the proposal is that this is applied to ourselves too. <laughs> and, it, and it includes our emotions and everything. And that's what we're going to try in a, in a meditation soon. But first, I'm going to know another question. Is it? Yeah. You were okay, Karen? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Elliot, yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking about this and it like right now we're going from there's if you look at all the little bits and add them up, there's no way you can get the whole right but but sometimes if you take a little bit from the whole, you still remember that it was once part of the whole and like, if I'm thinking about taking a radio from one car and putting it in another you're like oh well that's the car from car a same right. thing, like if you if you donate an organ or something like that you're like that's my kidney. Um, <laughs> But it made me, it's interesting because I was, and now I was thinking back, it feels like it relates to like the other dependent nature of all things. Like this idea of self does not exist without the little bits and the little bits gain meaning from being part of the self. Right, right, right. Is that, oh, I don't know. Yeah, no, it, it's true. It, it, it gains meaning, but it's also, but it's just, again, the meaning is really based on more of an agreement than in its uh, beingness, that there's no ontological basis to it because you can't actually point at something that really convincingly says this is this one thing that really is its thing. It just means it's permanent, it's singular, it's, it's full identity. The identity is all embraced in this one thing. I see. So it's the agreement that's that's creating that connection. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a it's a um, social. It's, a, it's language. That's how language works. Language needs something to, um, that's like what words are and naming are. It's, it's a way of going about it. Um, but it, uh, and it, in this way, it creates stories. Right? That's how stories come about. It's how we transfer meaning and uh, emotion. And the whole experience kind of gets highlighted through stories. But then if the stories take on their own lives, we are in trouble. And that's kind of what is proposed here is that we are in this bubble of misunderstanding because we started a story starting from having received a name, thinking we really are this person and we really are, you know, separate from somebody else not having this name and so forth. So there's a certain... Um, Self, something got out of hand, you know, some dynamic, some, some cognitive functioning of stories and names and so forth um, got out of hand. Eric has hand raised. Eric? Oh, yeah. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that this reminds me a little bit of a, of a concept within like traditional Western philosophy about the ship of Theseus, right? Where uh, there's the, there can be a ship and it's known as the, sh the ship of Theseus. And, you know, but if you take apart like a mast, 
here and replace the plank and replace all the parts. Eventually they all need replacing. It's inevitable, you know, and sort of the cells in our body. And, uh, and, and then, uh, you know, you, it's basically no single part of the original ship re remains. It's, it's all, it's almost a whole new ship. Well, hypothetically you could take the old parts again and reconstruct another ship. So which one is the original ship is, is that kind of question. But, but yeah, that's, that's what, what this re reminds me of very much. I, I always enjoyed thinking of it like that too. I like that. I like that. Yeah, that's that. And I think it really helps to have these kind of stories and these kind of um, uh, reasonings in order to really shake a little bit our, you know, certainty. You know, we're just so certain there's a self. I mean, who's going to prepare lunch for whom, you know, soon? I mean, but there is, we need these stories in order to, it's convenient, you know, in order to uh, use words. But we want to really find out what is it really refer to, you know, where are where is really a self here, um, and what the proposal here is is not just like some gymnastics, uh, mental gymnastics, but uh, really just that this will relieve our suffering if we are lessening um, our sense, taking things so personal, you know, having constant referring things to us, you know, meaning and uh, needs and um yeah so there's a certain self-love that has developed for something that's actually not really there or self-hate is the same thing i mean it's, it's to to uh lessen that and in order to really have that um a little more in uh, because the place that's where all of that is being naturally revealed is by meditation if we are sitting with our minds and our hearts quietly, we will notice that thoughts come, thoughts go, stories come, stories go. And um, and then we will wonder, where is that, you know, original ship? You know, where is that original me? Where is that sense of um, self? What is it referring to? Um, true. Where are you? Manisha had her hand up and then hi can you hear me yeah. yeah okay wonderful thank you so I think you know what you were talking about made me aware of just how much energy I'm spending trying to like identify who I am all the time and this kind of almost drug of like I figured it out and then you realize you didn't and I realized you spoke about how you're given a new name when you're ordained and I, I haven't done a lot of research on it, but it, I always found it kind of curious and made me feel a bit uncomfortable. And because in a way, I guess looking from the outside, it seemed like, well, is it choosing a new name is kind of like choosing a new identity. And so I wonder if you could help enlighten me a little more about that practice of giving new names in the tradition. Right. I think in many traditions that um, receiving more than one name has a lot to do with allowing other people to um, share the sense of you, and um, and if you and that's kind of being part of the tribe or being part of an activity. For example, like um, I think it's not uncommon um, in certain activity fields that people receive new names or new based on what activity they maybe have done or which kind of activity they are uh, have a characteristics of so I feel like there's um, 
you know, like if we go through in the middle in the through the five scandals and our five scandals display differently. You know, some people being more quiet, some people are like really bold, you know, we have all this personality, this amazing, beautiful personality um, um, study path. One I really recommend for anybody is to explore the Enneagram. Uh, it's like a, a tool set of nine types um, to, to explore spiritually. It's a spiritual inquiry of what kind of um, personality traits are more common to us. And they're really, these nine types are very much interconnected. One kind of says one doesn't just have one type, but three types that are just like playing in each other of being, you know, head, like a head type, like a stinker. That's like one of the three, three of the nine. And then the other one is feelings, so three of the nine. The other one is gut, kind of the gut people. And just having this kind of sense of differentiation, it just shows the kind of rainbow colorness of our personality. And being familiar with our patterning and our, you know, reaction patterns and so forth, seeing that they are like actually not that personal. Like what we think is my personal pattern, if, uh, and that's like the, actually the, beauty of growing old you like find yourself in so many people like you're really seeing of how um we are to various higher lower degrees having um similar traits similar personality traits and uh, that we are able to full able to fully understand each other directly like really understanding yeah i, I have ex like have experienced myself and that's also a nice part of meditation. You are getting the full bandwidth of, you know, beingness from, you know, being a saint to being a villain. You know, there's like everything in the mix of our, uh, what the mind can conjure up. Um, so did that kind of relate to what you were saying, asking? A little, yeah. I need to yeah. think about it, let it marinate, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it's like um, you asked about the naming. So the naming part is is that part of recognizing the our uniqueness, um, giving uh, giving a name, but also trusting that somebody else can see that and um, express that for you, giving like giving that to you. Yeah, that's maybe all I have to say about it. True was something before. Yeah. I had a very shocking experience of like viewing the fluidity of these sorts of definitions of self um, around two years ago. Um, this was early, early on in COVID. And uh, I had moved in with uh, my girlfriend at the time. And uh, we were, uh, <laughs> we, we, we had decided we were going to try and quarantine from each other. And uh, that resolution did not stay very firm. And so, so within like the first two days or something, we, um, we, we decided that we were okay if we would like cuddle with each other, like um, with each other's heads at each other's feet, like, um, saying like that's approximately six feet apart <laughs> but um it was kind of scary how fast like in the within like 15 or 30 minutes of doing this and like talking at each other's feet or something like my identification of like lucy being at her head like was totally like 
these feet are Lucy. Like I'm talking to them. Like this is where Lucy is located, like in her feet. And uh, that was very bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Sharing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I definitely can shift around for sure. And we explore that in meditation meditation some more. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Sure. Anne and Bob. So I'm going to bring in, I guess, or I have a, maybe this is more a psychology question, but uh, when, so people have a lot of wounds, emotional wounds, and I think they really identify with those. And so, and, and maybe for me, I feel like there's a need to attend to those so that the self can be whole, but then if there isn't a self, are those wounds, is the way to deal with them just explaining to people, we don't really have a self, those wounds didn't really happen to you in a personal way. I don't know, I mean, it, it's this is something that kind of comes up for me a little bit in, I guess, uh, in terms of Buddhism and psychology and, and how they inform each other. Absolutely. No, I really appreciate that, bringing that up. And, uh, you know, and we do need a uh, bottom line. We need a healthy self in order to let go of the self. Uh, and um, what is a healthy self? I think a healthy self um, in one way or another is, um, is self-trust. Um, to really trust one's power. I think like it is to underestimate our power or to overestimate our power are both imbalances. But to really know our power needs also to know where this power is coming from in some way. And and I feel like in um, in some kind of collective way, in particular in our culture, we have um, lost touch with where our power really comes from you know or what really makes us or what really you know nurtures us and and um and interestingly one connection point or that's like in the spiritual context that one big gateway the big doorway for uh, a healthy self <laughs> a trustworthy a sense of trust trusting in oneself and trusting in life is gratitude. So anybody ever having an imbalance of, you know, being wounded, the gateway to healing is starting with gratitude, gratitude for whatever. And that includes gratitude for even the horrible things that happen, because that's this trust, the needing that the, the uh, utter necessity of trust building is to be able to, to trust that whatever happened in our life um, has a purpose of healing and um, healing or growing or maturing or, or purpose, like some kind of purpose. And if that kind of is taken away from us, I feel there is not much of a basis there to, to really stand up on um, and, and do all this exploration and conversations that we're having right now. Like, I think, yeah, I feel gratitude, being grateful, is it's a gateway to to balance to healing to um uh maturity emotional and spiritual maturity and that's just very much uh 
connected of who we are as beings. Yeah, um, David. I just want to say thank you to the Sangha. I'm really enjoying this conversation um, and it's a great topic. Um, and the idea of neither one nor many, um, as we're talking about it and as you're highlighting the kind of centrality of it to Buddhist teachings, I'm realizing, I don't think I have focused on it in a really central way. So it's really something for me to dig deeper on. So thank you for bringing this up. One thing I just wanted to mention is um, I have two teenagers, a freshman and a sophomore in high school, and they were born Zoe and Lily. And over the last five years, they decided that instead they were Moss and Danny. And um, one of the great, and this is really, really common with this generation. I remember when I was a little kid, I really wanted to be called Dennis because the guy across the street was Dennis and I thought he was the coolest. And my parents were like, hell no, <laughs> you're not going to be Dennis, you're David. Um, I remember it vividly. I mean, I still remember it 50 years later. So, um, but, you know, for my kids and their generation to really, it's an interesting thing of them selecting their names, their gender and their identity. And there's a part of it that is very much maybe part of this, neither one nor many, like they are not tied to this identity that they were given to birth and that they see it as flexible. I also feel like there's a part of it, which is there is a grasping element to it, which is I am this other thing. And I'm, I'm I don't know, there's this interesting mix for them. Um, but I will tell you from my experience of um, my kids, um, deciding and asking me and my wife to, to call them by a different name. There was this immediate like sense of loss of like, I'm losing this, this identity maybe that I created or something. But once we got through it and it wasn't, it didn't take long to get through it. But once we got through it, boy, was it freeing to me of like, yeah, this is not whatever this identity is of my children and whatever their self is that my wife and I thought it was that we created or whatever. It's not that. Mm -hmm. It is this flexible, fluid thing that's not permanent. And um, I'm really grateful to my kids for helping us learn that lesson. Right. And I'm fascinated in watching this generation do this. <laughs> to their teachers, to their parents. The assistant principal called uh, me the other day from the high school. It's just like a standard, like, hey, just FYI, your kid was sitting close to someone that was positive with COVID. So they're doing this a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, the principal, the assistant principal said, um, hello, is this the parent of Zoe? And I said, yes. And then they said, um, does Zoe go by a different name? which was their way of saying, Zoe has told us that high school that they want to be called the Moss. But we're not sure that Moss has told you at, that at your house. So we're going to protect Moss. It was great. I loved it. I thought it was protecting Moss. And I said, yes, absolutely. Zoe goes by Moss. So it was a, I don't know, fascinating discourse, fascinating uh, action happening around identity and names and gender with this generation. And Boy, I'm learning so much about it, and it has definitely helped me 
at least with my kids, loosen my grip on their identity and what their self is and what I thought it was. And I, I need to turn that this way towards me as well. Right, right, right. That's beautiful, yeah. But I'm really grateful for you to have uh, contact with that generation. I, I do keep hearing exactly that story that this generation is very strongly uh, in touch with that fluidity of self and fluidity of identity and you know including gender identity including uh, you know personal identity and it's a gift to us I, I, as you were speaking i'm reminded that the hippie generation did something similar but on a different level and but it's showing kind of like it's kind of working with um maybe somewhat rigid like with our social rigid structure it's kind of like there's a certain um dance happening here that these generations are have been giving us and and uh, I, I trust that something will come out of it so i'm very grateful for for it yeah i hope i don't want to lose too much time because i still want to do a meditation but uh yeah shepherd oh sorry your mic is off do you want to yeah okay hello and thank you for um your talk and thinking about this idea of um the entity that is us from the perspective of say a molecular biologist mm -hmm. it's like we know that when we are born we're this one entity this little baby weighing you know so many pounds and and with the arms and the legs and that certain awareness and all that and uh, and so at birth that little baby is given a name and as that child evolves through childhood they relate to themselves um relative to that name because that's how they how we learn to identify ourselves is you know it's like I'm, um, I'm Mary, you're Jane, he's Sam, he's Fred. But every single day at, on a molecular level, we are dynamically changing. It is just, it's dynamic. Dy it's just, the, I mean, the, the body, it's so amazing. So, you know, it's like, um, and so what makes up that whole? It all makes up that whole. It all makes it up. So it's like, even though you're not that same 16-year-old Sam or Fred or Shepherd or whatever, you're, you're, still not the same, but we don't think about it. We have this mental idea that there's something unchanging. Mm -hmm. And it was only when I started studying Buddhism that you begin to look at sort of like the alignment with, with what 
biology says or what science is, at least our understanding of science is there, there really is no unchanging. There's no, it's, it's like it's always a composite. We're always a composite of that which our environment tells us we are. You know, and it's just, it's fascinating that Buddhism seems to tell us that and allow us a reflection of who we are from that so we can believe that we can always be just like, you know, when we are wounded, we can, we can always heal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's try that out right now. I wanted to uh, really do this with you. This kind of one experiment because uh, this healing part and the understanding part, so this uh, that we are not really a self. So thank you, Shepard. This is a great, great introduction to this. Um, to know, you know, we're dealing with a construction. We know we're dealing with conglomeration, you said. Um, to know that this... Uh, if there's really a self is a question. If you bring this on the cushion, we are first of all reminded of these last um, words the Buddha spoke before he died. He said, you know, no matter everything, I told you, you seem to have gotten it. He was very pleased uh, about that. Um, But he was the one thing he still wanted to say to his students was like, be an island under yourself or other translations say, be a lamp under yourself. And when I kept hearing that initially, I was like, well, what's so inspiring about that? He's telling me to be alone, you know, be an island under yourself. Um, what's, I don't, didn't quite understood what he was saying initially about um, that. But if anything, um, I'm really grateful for what this point is all about, is that our minds, is the most precious, the most powerful, the most um, um, worthwhile adventure to do to look at our mind and to uh, to take our mind as a main reference of any anything, because and that's what we're going to do now. So the Buddha talks about the self in the form of five skandhas, and we and do you, if you put yourself in your own mind on your own awareness. You're going to like go through these five skandhas and while you go through them just again see we are looking for self see uh, what that realm feels like what each skandha feels like in your experience and what you know just see if could the self be in there just let's just go there because the question here is the buddha says what's called a self are these five heaps, these five skandhas that make us up, our parts are these five big agglomerations, these five uh, that are like inexperienced, um, closer or further away from our mind, you could say. Is there a self in there? So this is like an experiment. And then the question would be, is the self identical to these five or is it uh, separate from them? And the question again is, is there a self in there that's permanent, singular, 
Okay. So if you um, look at yourself and now look at your mind, at your current situation, you can start by just look at the space between yourself and the screen or the space around you. Just be aware of, you know, the body sitting on a chair or on the floor and having space. So this space, the awareness of the space, there are shapes and colors. There are sounds, there's a feeling of the cushion, the feet on the floor. There's a taste on your tongue, maybe dry or bitter or wet. This is a form scanner. The form scanner feeling uh, the sensational elements of our life, the shapes, colors, sounds, touchables, taste. So it's a space with having all these um, sensational objects. It's like, it's a mind, it's an awareness that's aware of objects. That's the, the form scanner is that eye that perceives the sound, the sight, the ear that perceives the sound, the nose that smells, and so forth. So that's uh, five senses. That's a form scandal. Now to any of those sensational information, you might have uh, an openness. You might feel attracted to it. Or you might feel uh, kind of close or averse. Or you feel just not open, but not really a tiny bit averse. So the feeling scandal, that's the second heap. It's basically any sense in you that's open or closed. And that's very preliminary. There's no story involved. There's just like a sense of light or dark, kind of like that. So the feeling's kind of just pleasure, neutral or painful or unpleasant. But all the information that there still is, is just the sense, everything that came through the senses and then just the sense of you being open to it or not. Those are the first two skandhas. That's form skandha and feeling. The third skandha is called perception or conception. 
the most um, time during the day where you really feel that is when you wake up in the morning and there's still like just a bare sense of the room and then it kicks in, oh, it's Saturday. So that's like the first kind of conceptual kind of, it just jumps at you of like, I'm in the bed, oh, it's Saturday, something like that. So right now, you know, you have some conception of like sitting in a room and there's sound coming through a box or machine. <laughs> That's kind of the conceptual part. You got feeling, uh, form, feeling, perception. Then formation, any habits you're having of like, um, I like this, I don't like it. Of like, I'm hungry, I'm gonna have to go lunch, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm, uh, I'm this person who um, has a job. <laughs> There's all these stories that's like, kind of these meta stories or meta formations, meta identities. That's that's um, the formation scandal. Formation scandal being habitually, you know, I'm a person who likes hot water, or um, I'm a person who really likes to take care of my family. Um, identity um, packages. That's all in the formation scandal. So it's a big scandal. <laughs> it, it has a lot of a lot of stories in them. And then the awareness of all of it is the fifth scandal. So being aware of the, um, being aware of the first form scandal to the feeling to perception or conception to the formation, that whole package that makes us up that are like building blocks of a self is being aware of that, that um, consciousness. And uh, consciousness has been, you know, categorized in many ways, but for today, I would say that, um, that uh, look at the gap between the thoughts, look at the gap between you know, sounds or feelings, like any sense of spaciousness that you might experience, any um, kind of container feeling of the current situation, any kind of like awareness of, wow, this is what's happening right now kind of sense. Take an awareness. And then reflect on how this light brightens or dims depending on how it concentrates on anything of its parts. Like, uh, like right now listening, seeing of how you can be aware of being somebody listening 
or how you can concentrate on the word and try to make out what they mean. But there's like some kind of like spaciousness and a concentration that one can kind of go between them, that the mind has ability to, to focus or allow. And that that's kind of like a elasticity or that this is an ability the mind in, in one's awareness and that this kind of ability um, influences one's response or you know, one's moving around. So when the Buddha said being a lamp onto yourself, he was talking about this spaciousness and that uh, brightness. that's there, that this awareness is there and it's present and it's available to us. And if you are onto ourselves, that means that our main job as a meditator is to focus on our mind this way, um, on this vast, spacious, glowing awareness in which sounds, so forth, um, can arise and that's our pride shining lamp our mind it's so bright and shining that whatever we like right now see of it through this conversation through this exploration there's degrees between firefly, match, candle that illuminates that. Nice flashlight kind of strength. To we are told that this illumination and that awareness, that brightness of our lamp, of our light, of our mind can become so strong like the sun. Like the like this rising of the morning sun. That's like in which all these forms, feelings, and perceptions, they're just so released that we know we don't have to worry about anything ever anymore. Ever. So this awareness, this mind of ours is a reference point and door to our liberation, our liberation and everybody's liberation, because that's, how could you ever separate, how could you ever separate a mind from another mind? If you see your mind, you see it in every mind, from the insect to, to a person, it's the same mind. And it's that light and it's that life that just doesn't know separation. So where's the self in here? For conventional purposes, we say it's in this place where you are, right here. That's our starting point. And that starting point, we look at 
that's a self have to do with the eye seeing seeing something. Does it have to do with the sound hearing something? Is can the self be found in the form skanda? Well, if it would be like many of you already said, then uh, it couldn't be permanent because it would be changing with whatever sound, it would go along with the sound and the change. And it would be separate of it, then it couldn't have the qualities of the current moment, of the current self of the, that you receive. So is the self the same as this heap that we are right now, this heap of five skandhas, or is it different from it? Are we form, feeling, perception, formation, consciousness? Are we that mind? But if it's the same, then it couldn't be, uh, then it would be changing. And if it would be different, then it couldn't have the qualities and it wouldn't be endowed with um, any of its content. It would be, it, it couldn't do anything. It couldn't say anything. It couldn't react anything. It couldn't respond because it's not, it wouldn't be it. So, um, yeah, let's come back into our conversation and uh, know that um, your minds and your hearts are that refuge, <laughs> that self that's to be trusted. It's a large self. Cook, you talked about it last semester, I think. <laughs> but uh, sorry, I'm mixing vocabulary here. Um, it's a, uh, it's mind, yeah, mind. So, is it a self? Is it not a self? That's a conversation here, and it's hard because we're constantly using words. Any responses on your experience right now? Yes, which. Uh, hi, thank you for that talk. Uh, that was wonderful. Um, so this process that you just described, would you say that that is akin to what Dogen was saying when he said the Buddha way is to study the self, that it is this direct sort of analysis of the conventional self that we normally consider me, me and all that, all that is associated with it? Is it that is that the same process? I mean, in the he's, he's saying that in the Gensho Koan, and that's very definitely talks about the present moment. It's like the most thing that stands out as the issue at hand is, you know, what do we presently have? And in a way, that's what this process is, the process of going to the five skandhas, is um uh is just incredibly um brilliant. Uh, summarization of what is happening and it you can really in a way go into whatever situation you're in that's all you find like this it's ever what's ever is going to happening it's just these five scandals there's nothing else, else ever happening it's just there is no other event in this world <laughs> because that 
these five skandhas are summarizing the world. They are the world. And we are the eyes to these worlds, this world in a way. So studying the self is the Buddha way. Studying the self is the only thing that's ever happening. Yeah. So um, Genshu Koan is, um, you know, the nature of wind is permanent. Uh, can, can we not see that? Can we not see that, you know, there is only this present moment? Is it, why is it so hard to, to see just this mind as being um, the vast array of, um, you know, ideas, forms, amazing, just playing itself out? Um, can we see that? It's hard because you're like, there's a story um, that I really like. It's actually an Indian story. Um, there was a king and he was inviting all his people to come visit him. But um, there were various side doors on the way to the king, there were side doors. And a visitor would come and go look in the side doors. And it was like beautiful food or beautiful landscapes or beautiful, you know, um, activities to do and they would say well I have two hours to get to the king <laughs> I just go there and enjoy myself and then the two hours are over and then never made it to the king and so it's that kind of story like that that points to you know we have this mind we have the ability to and 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 believe me I was I'm very um, not that clear here about mine there is a lot to be said there that I haven't said um, but the, the, the kingness of our being is this mind. That's like the, the big container, um, so to speak. And, you know, Buddhism talks about a pure container and an impure container. And for all means, I really only know about the impure one myself. It's like, you know, a space that's filled with, you know, uh, in my mind, really existent sounds, smells and stories. Um, and, and, but it's to just know, to just come to the place. And that's like the privilege of us meditators that other people who are not meditating just don't have, which is to be aware of the space in which all of this is happening. So once one is to know about the space, is to know that this is all in the field of awareness, then one can learn letting go and letting go. And, and that's um, and applying analysis, applying meditation techniques, clearing the channels, whatever is needed, a whole array of things that help us to purify our minds, our consciousness, to such an extent that um, um, the sun is rising, yeah? that the sun really, really is shining and um, that this mind is really coming forward. Um, as as a true um, refuge for everybody and everything. But to, first of all, come to the place where uh, we are not putting the power some other place into some other eternal singular thing that we think is making our life happening. <laughs> uh, that would be the first step. So it sounds like you're saying that um, it's this sort of ordinary attention to our direct experience that is the way. Like ordinary mind is the way. Is that is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Thank you. You're very welcome. Rich. 
Kokio uh, is saying something. Are you saying that we can look into the experience of each of the five skandhas to see if any of them are myself, permanent, singular, independent self or not? That's right. And, um, and I think it helps and that's why meditation is so much more helpful than non-meditation um, because um, in, the longer we sit, all of you have probably have experienced that, the more you sit, the uh, uh, more you kind of know the stories that catch us and that wipe us away into, you know, uh, their magical realms, that these stories, we have more and more sense of them, who they are, and we're not as easily swept away by them. And I think many of you have had a taste of that. Pat. Well, I just wanted to thank you for that. I just thought that was a wonderful meditation. And um, I loved your saying that our consciousness is like the sun, which I guess is why we always have a candle burning on our altar that we can sort of, I don't know, somehow visualize this, this consciousness, this wonderful consciousness that we have. And um, and that, that, that this is, is just this the magic, this magic of awareness that is awesome. Anyway, thank you very, very much. Thank you very, very much. The, it's, um, it's light and fire. That's definitely a reminder. And it, you offer to the, that's like one thing, a beautiful interplay of the offerings to the awakened ones is we offer them not because they need anything, but because we know what they like. And yeah, they do like beauty. They do like light. They do like uh, fragrance. They do like these things. That's why they're happening. But it's um, but they're not attached to them and they could do without them. So um, one another image for um, mind that is um, particular... Um, uh, it uh, comes shows up in the text a lot. Uh, is mind as a jewel, you know, a clear, bright jewel is like another image uh, for mind. Um, and one reason it is because if you put a cloth under a jewel, for example, a red cloth, your jewel looks red. We put a green cloth under a jewel, your bright crystal, crystal jewel. Then it looks green, right? So there's like the mind has is this incredibly um, powerful um, uh, awareness, but it it does it it happily also reflects anything that's happening in it. You know, I mean, it's not hindering things to arise, forms to arise, stories to arise. There's no, um, you know. It's not bad. <laughs> These things, nothing is bad that's happening in the mind. Uh, it's just that that's, we can get so distraught by it. So that's why meditation is just so incredibly important to, to um, get part, get our focus on the content lessened and then have that um, uh, focus and the new refuge, um, not external, but internal on the mind, in the mind. And then uh, unsolve and discover that you know various uh, mind bodies or embodiments of our mind, which are the Nimanakaya, Sambhogakaya, and Dhammakaya. They are right there. They're right here. It's just, and so some of you you were in the class, 
um, we're talking or we were talking about, you know, polishing the mirror and there's some certain idea about, oh, that means we have to like really um, let go, like this mind, if this is a mind, we have to like really polish our uh, mind and like, you know, free like tons of meditation with no, um, you know, sense pleasure, or whatever. I mean, sandals are just like really, very uh, low sense pleasure <laughs> or sense impact kind of environments, you kind of sensory deprivation tanks. Yeah. And, um, and, and it's helpful because it highlights the mind, it highlights that kind of qualities. But um, we can also just, that's one way to like, you know, try to let that go. But as we were trying to say uh, before in a conversation, there is also this way to just know, to just know you are the lamp, your mind is a lamp and that full knowledge, there's an image of the wheel turning king. So if like, if like um, the practice of, you know, wiping the mirror is kind of like the aesthetic, you know, you have the mind the awareness, you keep polishing and polishing from all its content. It's kind of like a skeptic type practice um, of keep, you know, in the sendo have just very little, you know, sense impacts, you know, uh, hours and hours, that's one way. But then the other one is like, you just blow, blow that mind up and just know in full confidence, know, you know, this is all mine. So you can be a real turning king, which is like, you know, give, just giving and being in an activity field of its own enjoyment because it's, um, because it's all just mine. So it's just, this is two kind of, ways traditional ways of talking about it so i think i'm going pretty long already here and i don't want to hold you um not sure what the timeline is set for everybody but we can uh, have another question or um i end and then we just have questions after whoever has to go first okay so why don't we end here and then whoever wants to stay around can do questions Thank you. Thank you so much, Shoho.